When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Okay, Lou, look, let's start off with the uh, Wild. I asked you last week if you were concerned, and you basically said, I- I'm always concerned, and it's very justified. It's now, um, after they lost to Columbus on Thursday night there, it's now 5 of 8, I believe, and, of course, the uh, two consecutive, which was really disturbing going back to the Coyotes' loss that they blew the game in the third period. Your thoughts on how they right the ship quickly here because this conference, as we've both talked about a thousand times before, is incredibly difficult. Well, I, I do believe that, uh, and you'll probably see it, that the coach is going to have to just alternate goaltenders quicker and, and put Staylock in. Uh, <clears throat> you know, Dubnik's had a great start of the season, but the last uh, 10 days or so he hasn't played as well. And, and I think rather than putting him in and, and maybe trying to force a win and having him write, write it right away, maybe do it gradually by allowing the other goaltender to play every second game or so and uh, take some pressure off Doobie because he, he definitely hasn't been sharp, as you can see, the last uh, three, four, or five games, and he, he has to get his game back to where it was before, before you really start uh, thinking that you're going to go off on a nice run. That's a weird thing, though, because it seems from what Boudreaux is saying that he's afraid that if he doesn't play Dubnik, he's going to adversely affect Dubnik's confidence. But I'm with you. I think that, especially with how well he played at the start of the season— I think there's just times I see a goaltender, and it's not that he's terrible, but he's certainly struggling a little bit. And I, I say to myself, a break w- would help. So how do coaches sort of uh, split that fine line between uh, keeping the guy's confidence high, but to your point, playing the backup a little bit more? Because if the backup goalie, which Salak, uh, has is, and, and he has been playing very well, if the backup goalie comes in and wins you some games, all of a sudden you're going to have less pressure on the goaltender uh, Dubnik to win a game because you're not in a long losing streak. You know, uh, you, you might lose a game, but you did win the game before. So you you got to allow him an opportunity to get some confidence where the game doesn't seem like the end all. Yes. If he doesn't win it and win another one, win another one, that you're, you're in this uh, big losing streak coming up, and, and how do you get out of it? And, and uh Maybe then you, you know you got a confidence factor with that goaltender. So I think, and and I would feel very comfortable that you got to play Stalock more and and trust him because he has played so well. Mm-hmm. In Dubnik's case, Louis, as a longtime hockey observer, what do you see that's off? Because I mean, we, we see the goals and, and we're like, well, that that's not a great goal, or he certainly stopped that puck for, for the first month and a half of the season. But when you watch him play, what seems to you to be just a, a bit off here? Well, when he's playing with confidence, he's he's challenging. He's quicker in in position. 
uh, he he feels that he's going to stop everything. It, it almost seems to me like a couple shots. He's almost guessing where it was going to go, and and not not in a position where you're confident. You're you're just making a save, and uh, one of the things that uh, you got to do, you got to make certain of, and it's really tough. Is is you got to really be up front when you're getting shots from the blue line. These deflections that are so tough to handle, and, and he's had a number of them go in. Uh, you, you better get in a position where there's less room for that guy to deflect a shot by you so that you're taking up more of the space in the net by being up front. So even if the puck dips or dives or goes to the side, you've essentially cut off most of the angle for that puck to get in. The Coyotes' loss was not only, Lou, a bad third-period loss, but it was the third time, I believe, in the past four home games that this team has blown a third-period lead. Now, against the Sens, they came back and won that game 6-4 to four with two goals. Uh, how concerning is that fact? And and when that starts to go wrong, how, how much of that is about effort and actual play and, and how much defaults to confidence as well, Just for, not, not just for uh, the goaltender but for the entire team? Well, I think what you said last is the most important thing. It's confidence. When you when you believe that they can't score on you and you feel confident what you're doing your own end and and protecting leads, you play with, with uh, an ease, you play with a, a much more uh, instinctive flow, and, and you're not waiting just to react. And, and uh, you don't give up these leads. When you start lacking confidence, then you're hesitant. Then you're waiting to react. Then you're not as quick to puck, you're not as quick to picking up loose men. And and you also start getting a feeling in your head, boy, I hope you don't score, I hope this doesn't happen yes. again. These, these <laughs> things go through your mind, and, and I think it's, it, it's having the ability very quickly to to play with a bit of confidence and uh, relieve pressure in your own zone. And and when you get the puck, you know, one of the things that happens when, when you're worried about being scored on, things happening to you. You handle the puck like a hot potato. You don't, you don't handle it so well where you can skate it out, make a play, you're looking to make plays, beat a man. You're you're not nervous with the puck, and and I think they got to get to that point where they they're playing with a lot of confidence with the puck, and what they're doing with the puck starting in, in their own zone. And Louis, in the game on Tuesday too, it seemed to me like the key goal uh, for the for the uh, Coyotes was the first third period goal because you saw that goal and you said to yourself they they were so that team was so bad in the second period of that game and I, I believe they had one shot in the entire uh, period but you saw that first goal and I I said at least uh oh this is this feels like like now because they're not that great a team that they've got nothing to lose and that they're they're going to start to pressure and from that moment on it seemed like the wild was back on its heels for for the rest of that period even just watching games as we do and, and we're not involved in a game how many times have we watched our team play or any team play and, and see them take a one two goal lead and have maybe another eight or ten chances to make it four five six nothing yep. last night with the rangers I, I mean they were completely dominated by ottawa but the game forever was two nothing it should have been six, seven, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there waiting, saying, "Well, all the Rangers got to do is score one goal, and Ottawa's going to be uptight because they should be way ahead." And once you get one, just like the Coyotes did, then you're starting to think, "Oh my God, don't tell me we're going to blow this game." You know, your thought process changes, and 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 as a player out there, you're you're aware of what's gone on. You're aware you haven't been able to score goals with so many chances, 
and they get one bad goal, next thing you know, you might be another one. So it does change your mindset, and, and that's what that's where you got to be strong. That's where you got to be, and the great players are. You know, they don't let little things bother them. They, they then say, I'm going to go back and take control of the game, get control of the puck, make things happen, get right. it out, and not, not feel, feel the kind of pressure that some of the other guys on the team might be feeling. I've got something that's driving me crazy, Lou. What's that? It's this. Why don't they put, and, and I, I understand it's not perfect world, but why don't they put Suda back with, Suter back with Dumba? Because to me, when Dumba's playing w- with Ryan, it provides a veteran, stabilizing veteran type of guy who, who is very good. And Dumba, since he moved to Brodeen, playing uh, partnered alongside him defensively, has struggled. And I, th- I think we're both Dumba fans. And offensively, from the blue line, he can give you a lot, Lou. But just watching him try to play with Brodeen, it, it's almost as if it brings out all of the defensive uh, liabilities that he has. I really would like to see them put Ryan Suter and Dumba back together. And I know it might not be Ryan's first choice, but I think ultimately for the team's sake, it would help them. Well, uh, you know, I, I got to defer to the coaches what they see. They see him every day, day in, day out. Uh, I have to tell you that Brodin is an extremely solid, capable defenseman, and it doesn't matter who's playing with him. They got a good partner because Brodin, if you look back when Ryan Suter came second in the Norris Trophy, he was playing with Brodin. Mm-hmm. So you can go with a lot of different guys. Brodin does pretty well by him. Now, whether. Whether there's a different mindset with Matt Dumba when he's playing with Brodeen versus Suter, I, I can't tell you. But uh, Brodeen is a pretty solid player, and I I, I don't have any problem with it. I, I'm not going to blame it on Brodeen, that's for sure, because Brodeen, he's as consistent as could be back there, and, and he's a very, very talented defensive defenseman. So when, when Dumba starts to go in, into these defensive funks, what goes wrong, do you think? Well, what happens is, you, you know, a lot of times it's mindset. You're, you're not... You're not. I personally think it's focus. You know, all yep. you got to do is daydream for a second, or not be really into the game mentally for a second, and bad things happen. The game moves that fast. People do things that well in the National League. And and if I if I look at Dumb a lot of times, I I blame some of the things he does on on focus, on really being aware of position, time, place, puck, other players. It, it, it's, it only takes one second of daydreaming to cause you big problems. And, I, and I, as a youngster, uh, some people have a tougher time focusing than older guys. Not necessarily all young guys, because a lot of them could focus and be good. But I think Dumba being an offensive defenseman has a tendency maybe for a second or two just to forget the defense part or think about defense or think about what might happen. Because his thought process might be, well, if that guy makes a bad pass, I'm going to be gone here. This guy's open, I'm going. Rather than if he makes a bad pass, we better make certain that we get it, we pick it up, and and play defense first. There's there's an adage that especially young people got to remember: defense first in your own zone. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter how good you are offensively. It doesn't matter how hard you shoot a puck, how talented you are, until the puck is out of your zone. You got to remember defense first in your own zone. Take care of your own zone; the rest will take care of itself. Can, can that be fixed? Yeah. Do you yeah, think with him? Just, you got steady. You know, if if that's his problem, and I don't know that it is, but yep. wouldn't surprise me if it is. 
He's got to be talked to on the bench all the time by his partner, by the coaches and everything. Focus, focus. Remember, our own zone first. Get it out, get it up, whatever it is. Watch. Like, he'll have a tendency, in my mind, when he's not focusing, to get caught out of position. Look at how many two-and-ones, three-and-twos are caused and and how many times he's out of the play. And that's just a matter of of thinking and focusing on the defensive part even when he's going on offense. By that I mean if you're carrying the puck up and you're the head man, you're deep, yeah, you can go with the puck, but you've got to be aware that someone's taking your position. Right. And if you do lose the puck or take the shot, miss, you've got to get back fast. There can't be any drifting, any uh, non-focus, and, and get back. And you've got to remember when, you, when you're going to gamble. You don't gamble a 50-50 situation unless the game is you're behind and, and it's in the third period. You need a goal. Mm-hmm. You got to be more like 80-20, 80% sure you're going to get the puck, or you don't. You don't take a chance, even in their zone when you're going to pinch or something. You got to make certain you think defense first. What happens if you're not successful? That's what. You, that's what your mindset's got to be. So ideally, when, when can that focus shift then? So for for a kid like him who basically would like to think offense first. Can the focus shift at as the puck goes across a center ice? When when could you tell him, okay, if your focus is going to shift defense to offense, it can at some points, but here's where. Well, first of all, when you're behind, you're late in the game. Okay. Then then you're going to be gambling. You're going to be taking chances. You're going to be pressing. But but it, it it only you only have that kind of focus shift when you know that you're being covered. In other words, if you if you're going up with a play. But the trailing forward, like Mary used to say in the locker room all the time, if Louis carries the puck, last guy, last forward high takes his position. Mm-hmm. So I, I was confident enough if I'm going, I knew somebody's going to be back there or they're going to hear from John. <laughs> well, on a team, you have to you have to remember whoever it is, you know, and, and all these guys should know this growing up. If the defenseman goes with the puck, last forward high better cover up. If the defenseman, is, there's two defensemen and everybody's up high, and I'm going to go try and pinch. I better have, like I said, a 80% chance of getting it or not take a chance because they could be away with a two-and-one or a three-and-one. Right. And you're always, re- you're always in your mind playing the game with odds. What are the odds if I do this? What, are, what, are the, what happens if I take this chance? What's the, you always play with the downside when you're a defenseman. What's the downside if I, if I make this play? They don't, though. You're, you're right about this, but they don't. I know. Times. Well, that's why you make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Who was who was a player, especially defenseman, that you either were teammates with or were the GM for, that you thought to yourself, this guy is never going to get it, and eventually late in career or life or at some point he did? Well, I don't know that uh, I would go that far, but uh, I, I mean, a younger defenseman, they, when they come in, they might be more offensive-minded, but, I, you know, we had the good fortune that, we had really a talented defense when, when I was general manager. You, you know, you got Hartsburg and Sargent and yep. and uh, Giles and, and uh, Maxwell and, and Mandich and uh, you know the year that we went bad, we lost three of them for life. I mean, we our, 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 that's what happens to our defense. Tommy Hirsch too, right? Yeah, Tommy Hirsch, was him. David Quinn, who I drafted in the first round, never played a game, got a blood disease. Yeah, I mean that's what happens if it turns around. But I, I think that. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we we were very fortunate in that way that that our defensemen in those days, if you remember, Bobby Orr was changing the game mm-hmm. and had changed the game during this time. 
what happened until that time, Judd, defensemen didn't go, you know, like I was an anomaly in college and, and in pro because I used to carry the puck. That's, and that's why I ended up getting so many points but, and, and making rushes. Well, that's, Ort did that in the pros. He changed the game for the pros. Until that time, nobody, you, you know, defensemen played defense first. Right. They, they, they didn't have this process now where be up in a play, get in a play, lead the rush. Fred Barrett's of the world, right? Yeah, Fred Barrett's a great example. I don't know if Freddie ever crossed the, the, the far blue line. But he was damn good at what he did. So but defensively, he was terrific. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And, and, and uh, so there's been a, a mindset change in the game, and, which I like to see. And, and the game is so fast, you've you got to be able to do that. That's, that's how you create opportunities nowadays. But at the same time, when you're doing that, you've got to make certain that the forwards are, are, are remembering that somebody's got to be covering. I think uh, to your point though, that's the difference now, Lou. The game is just so fast, and and if you if you screw up for a second now, it costs you. Well, not only I think that, you're right about that. Now, now you don't have a red line where you can make those long passes. Before you couldn't yep. do it, you could screw up, but then they had to make a play within the red line, or unless they carried it themselves. You're right. Now you got trailers, and 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 you got guys loafing and and hanging up. So if you turn the puck at the right inside their blue line, they can make a pass to the far blue line. You couldn't do that in the past days because pass would be offside. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, on Tuesday night, the Coyotes' go-ahead goal, I believe, Louie, was, was Goligoski behind his own net, yeah. right? Moves out left and oh. makes and makes what is or what used to be a two-line pass to the wild blue line. Of course, it's onside now and, and creates that goal. Yeah, exactly. You couldn't do that kind of stuff before. So now with the game changing, then, uh, like I said, the way you protect against it, Defense first. They got the puck. Defense. We got to think defense. You got to close the gaps. You got to. You got to protect the center of the ice. You got to make them pass on the far side on the boards rather than up the middle. Mm-hmm. You know, the defensemen. If you get too wide a gap in the middle of the ice, they'll shoot right up the gap and they'll be gone in the breakaway. Look at how many Eric Stahl had last year. Breakaways on the middle. You're right. That shouldn't be happening. Exactly right. Uh, t- Toronto's Saturday night against uh, the, the Wild at DX is not going to be simple. How Do you start in that game, Dubnik or Stalock? Back to our goaltending conversation. If it was me, I'd start Stalock. Okay, I agree. I, I think that right now he's played well, he's confident, because one of the things you got to remember about Stalock, too, he handles the puck better, and he can relieve pressure on pucks thrown in. Mm-hmm. And, and Toronto, right. you know, Toronto likes to press, they like to forecheck, Babcock's teams always do. So if they're throwing the puck in, Stalock could relieve a lot of pressure that way. And I just think that if, you know, if you put Dubnik in right now, and we all know in the last four or five games he's been fighting it, because what's the save percentage on the 879 or 849? Yeah. And and why do you put him on a team that's got that kind of firepower? Yeah. And nobody's got more firepower in the league than Toronto right now with Austin Matthews back, Tavares, Marmer, and Marlowe. <laughs> They're fun to watch, though, that's for I mean, sure. Come on. I wouldn't want to play them, but they're fun to watch. Exactly. Dubnik, Louis, uh, to, to your point just before, Dubnik, first six weeks of the season, 8-3-2 record, 2.13 goals against average, and a 9.33 save percentage. Mm-hmm. The past six starts, 1-4, a n- no decision, a 3.8 goals against average, and the save percentage down to 8.61. So that's exactly right. Yeah. So, well, that's why I, I just think it would be good to give him a rest and play Steelock on Saturday night. Not only, Louie, are, are coaches now being being uh, 
fired in this league at a semi-rapid rate, but we had a GM fired. Ron Hextall was fired by, by the Flyers, and Chuck Fletcher is supposedly a leading candidate for that job. Your thoughts on that job, and and it's interesting. Hextall had built that system, as I'm sure you know, was was really good, and Hextall was sort of trying to take a page from what the Sixers did with uh, patience and trust the process and w- was let go. You think that's a good move, or do you think that, that that's a bit unfair to a guy who is trying to cultivate a system and not rush kids up here? Well, I, I'm not going to make judgment on whether he should have been fired or not. I do know that, as you said, he, he, he was with patience and added some good youngsters, and I, I, I do believe that they got some quality guys on their team and in their, in their farm team, but uh, from all reports, there was a I don't know if it's a philosophical change, a philosophical change or what, but uh, if you look at it, what is the one thing he didn't do? And goaltending? That's where he took everything. He didn't get a goaltender. Which, how does Ron Hextall not go get a goaltender? That's what I want to know, Lou. And that's and that's why he got. That's why he's suffering because uh, he's taken a lot of heat for not improving the goaltending over the last four years, and that's been their Achilles heel. Yep. And he is a goaltender and. Uh, I, I do believe that that's probably the reason why he didn't get fired. Now, you know, I think he's a smart guy, and he and I like a lot of things he's done. But as I said, I'm not involved in day to day. I don't know what they had a big uh, uh, disagreement about, but that's the way they uh, in the play in the papers. That's the way they played it out. Chuck be be a good uh, hire there in your mind? Yeah, I think Chuck was a great hire here. And we're still seeing the benefits. Sixteen, six years in a row, he has a good team, a solid team. Uh, you know, he paid the price of not advancing in the playoffs, and and a lot of times, you know, that's not the general manager's fault. I mean, I can give you a, a number of reasons, and you're well aware yep. where we were short in in the playoffs. But uh, uh, there's a lot of there's a good fit there that people really don't know about, and starting with Bobby Clark. Who's still there? You know, we're seeing Holmgren was the president. Bobby Clark and Paul Holmgren are very, very close. Holmgren's the president. He's, they're going to make the choice. Mm-hmm. Bobby Clark uh, has a great deal of respect for Cliff Fletcher and became real close to him over the years in hockey. So much so that when Bobby Clark uh, took over in in Florida, Chuck Fletcher worked for him down there. Hey, what, Lou, when 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 Bobby Clark was here. Yeah. Uh, how how I guess the the word would be odd or strange was was that at first because I mean this guy lifelong Flyers guy lifelong uh, player there and, and then of course was GM there how weird was that just from a um, optics standpoint to see Bobby Clark in charge of this team for a while did you think Well, I didn't think it was you know I didn't think it was weird at all because he he had done a good job in Philly and then he, uh, they took a little dip and. Um, he got replaced, and, and Eddie, Eddie Snyder was the boss, and I don't think he really wanted to do it, but he took a lot of flack from those close to him, and he, and he made the choice. And, and Bobby Bobby called me one morning, I'll never forget, it was about 20 after 7 in the morning, and he was managing Philly, and the first thing he said, Louie, yeah, Bobby Clark, what's up? How did you know when to quit? And when I got that call, I said, well, I'm going to tell you what I told Sam, what Sammy Pollock told me who I think was the best general manager of all time. When I was really undecided about staying in the game, didn't know if I wanted to be in the game, we had the uh, game in Quebec City. I think it was the Russians playing the NHL All-Stars. Mm-hmm. 
and I was going to get some food, and, and Sammy Pollock was there at the table. I said, Sammy, how did you know when to quit? He said, Louie, you'll know. That's what his words to me, and, that's, and I said, Bobby, you'll know. <laughs> that was the same thing. And and I think that uh, Clark, he was out of it for, for a while, and, he, and then he thought about getting back into it. Norm Green, I was uh, love stars, and, and the fact that uh, Bobby was also a general manager but a star in the league. Yep. He hired Bobby, and Bobby, even though even though he, you know they had a big rivalry, Philadelphia, Montreal, Bobby really respected Ganey, so he hired Ganey as coach. Mm-hmm. And then, so Louis, how how much different too is is this job, the the GM job now, just as far as an analytics go, and as far as contracts go, and and the cap goes, how much have the parameters of this J, of this job changed within, let's say, the last. 15 to 20 years. Oh, it's changed tremendously. When, when you, you just named a couple of things. Analytics, we never had analytics, you know, and it's RIs, which I still believe should be a big part of it. Even, uh, you know, analytics tell you one thing, but they don't tell you heart. They don't tell you competitive level. They don't tell you a lot of things. Right. So I, I, I don't think you'd dismiss eyes. But, uh, you know, with the salary cap and the contract level, I, I did, I negotiated every contract that was ever done with the North Stars when I was there. Mm-hmm. We, I never had a lawyer. I never had anybody else. I was the first guy in National League history to go to arbitration, and I took. I was. I thought I was taking Sammy Pollock, and I was going to the telex machine to say we've signed uh, Mike Pollock from the uh, Montreal Canadiens farm team, and we're going to, uh, you know, we can't come to an agreement, so we're going to go to arbitration. And right as I was walking over, it started tick tick tick, and it says Sammy Pollock has just retired. Which I was happy about meant that I didn't have to face him in arbitration. <laughs> and Irv Grunman has taken over. I'll never forget that. Wow! So I was. I did that one, and I also did the one with L.A. when I signed uh, Gary Sargent and Jack Kent Cook. I was the first guy that ever had had that kind of arbitration. And, and uh, Jack Kent Cook sent his brother Don, who was a lawyer, and they tried to take Jill Malosh and Greg Smith from us. And uh, I gave him Steve Jensen and another uh, defenseman. And then we Couple players, right? Yeah, but that was that was the first ever arbitration dealt like that. Wow! So we general manager did everything in those days, and uh, did the scheduling, did the hiring, did the uh, training camp sites, did the travel, did everything. Now you got, you know, in those days we might have a staff, a staff of three or four, and now they got a staff of sixteen. So you did travel? I did travel too. I did all the travel for the team. So like booked stuff or what? Like how? No, I'd, I'd have my yeah. assistant book the airlines, but I tell her what time we're leaving, which hotel we're staying at, where you know, which you know, uh, place, what time we'd be leaving the next day, the whole thing. When'd you That's go why home? If, if we lost, we went to Toronto, lost the next week. The next, if we were going back there next week, we stayed at a different hotel. Oh, you did that one? Okay. Yeah. That's not surprising. No. But my God, when when did did you have time to go home and eat dinner then? If you were doing all that stuff. Funny you said that. You know, in 10 years, I only took one vacation for one week in 10 years. Worked all summer. I never took a vacation. This is why the doctor told you to eventually quit the job, Lou. Yes, exactly. My gosh. So what what do you look at now? Is there any part of a GM's job in 2018 that you look at and, and would like to have during your time as GM of the North Stars? Well, I think I, would, I wouldn't mind some of the analytics they got about, uh, uh, you know, puck possession and all I, I can tell how much or you know who, who's been effective in uh, in certain areas 
of uh, checking and, and uh, shooting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like that. And, and uh, any kind of tendencies that uh, other teams might have that I could read about that I'm because you're not seeing them like remember in those days we might play the other conference uh, two games or something. So you don't remember see that. You'd you like to know their tendencies before you play them. Do you like the cap? The salary cap? Do I like the cap? Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, very good for keeping keeping it competitive. I like it because if you remember just before the cap was instituted, Dallas, Detroit, and the Rangers had contracts in the area of uh, $80 million to $90 million. Yes. And teams like Nashville and uh, Florida Suffer Lake were down 16 and $18 million. Mm-hmm. So you, you, really, you know, if you had a good player, you weren't going to – be able to play him, you, you know, you might want to give him a million, half, two million, and then you'd be getting four million from somebody else. So I think it's really made uh, for parity in the league. So when, when you made the the uh, transition, Lou, from uh, uh, from player to GM, who was the first player that you sat down as a GM then and negotiated a contract with? And w- what was that experience like having been on the other side of the table for a good portion of your life up until then? Well, the first one was Bobby Smith because I took over in February. Didn't have to do a contract till till June, and I, you know, I drafted Bobby Smith first. And the WHA was in in uh, fighting us, you know, because they Hartford had his draft rights and they were trying to sign him. Mm-hmm. And uh, in those days, you know, when I took over, the, the whole team was one point two million dollars. On, and and now I love that story, by and, the way. And I'm I'm looking at uh, signing Bobby Smith, and I got to go against. Uh, Hartford and uh, his agent. We finally en- ended up giving him two hundred fifty thousand dollars signing bonus, and uh, and then you know and I give him a contract for. I think the play he was making about seventy five thousand the first year and going up ninety to hundred the next two years or something. And and what I did is I called a friend of mine, Bill Ramsey, whose uh, dad and he they owned Kemp's Dress and Ice Cream, and I I made a deal with him where Bobby Smith would be representing Kemp's Crest and they would pay us so much money and they could use Bobby Smith on their advertising. Do you remember he used to? Oh, of course. Yeah, and <laughs> I just had lunch with Bill today. That's why it's a funny story. And and Bill says, uh, you know, and we signed him and I gave a lot of credit to Kemp's for being part of the deal and Bill's father walked into the office and he was chairman. Bill was president. And Bill says, uh, his dad says, what's this all about? And Bill says, I made a deal with Louie, and, uh, you know, we're going to have this Bobby Smith, the kitty draft. And he says, what are the terms? He says, I don't know. He says, you keep dealing with Louie. He says, you're going to be out there driving a truck, and he's going to be sitting behind your desk. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to take his job. Say, how how did you... How did you come up with that at that time, too? Because, I mean, I, I would take it in 78 or so, that was not the norm. How did you come up with, with that plan? Well, I, I don't know. I, I was in sales, you know, five years before that with uh, Harvey McKay and before I turned pro when I was in a contract dispute with Chicago and before I turned pro and, and then off-season I used to sell. And while I was playing, you know, I was vice president of Players Association for seven years, so I, did, I had a lot to do with negotiations and the collective bargaining agreement, stuff like that, my thoughts and things of that sort. So I, I think it was just stuff that came to me naturally. That's good. All right, sir. Thank you. Talk to you next week, Lou Nanny. Nice talking to you, Judd. Take you care. Too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.